Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Joe Biden's out there in the Rose Garden talking about guns, saying nobody gets a background check at a gun show. Well, I'm sure we'll get to all of that as that debate unfolds. <laughs> but uh, if you know the Second Amendment and the law and smoke is coming out your ears, it's perfectly understandable today. But, Jim, um, we've got good news again on the filibuster front. And I assume... That the reason Joe Manchin is getting uh, tougher on not changing the filibuster is because of what we said yesterday about Kirsten Cinema and what we didn't say about him yesterday, because he's had some wiggle room before. But uh, in the wake of Kirsten Cinema doubling down on no killing the filibuster, no reforming, meaning gutting the filibuster, she's not changing anything. Joe Manchin now with an op-ed in the Washington Post, and hey, me too. He says it's no accident that as a state as small as West Virginia has the same number of senators as California or Texas. It goes to the heart of what representative government is all about. The founding fathers understood that the challenges facing a rural or small state would always be very different from a more populous state. Designating each state with the same number of senators, regardless of the population, ensured that rural and small states and the Americans who live in them would always have a seat at the table. The filibuster is a critical tool to protecting that input and our democratic form of government. That is why I have said it before and I will say it again to remove any shred of doubt. There is no circumstance in which I will vote to eliminate or weaken the filibuster. The time has come to end these political games and to usher a new era of bipartisanship. Uh, where we find common ground on the major policy debates facing our nation. He says every time the Senate has voted to weaken the filibuster, dysfunction and gridlock have only grown more severe. He even went a step further, saying he's not a big fan of uh, continually using reconciliation to bypass the filibuster, saying it's only going to come back to bite the Democrats uh, the next time the other party's in charge because they'll be able to do the exact same thing. I assume that won't stop him from voting in favor of the infrastructure bill, uh, which is now officially under reconciliation, Jim. But, uh, I mean, he's we've said it before that it looks like he's giving himself no wiggle room. And a little bit earlier this year, he seemed to find some. Now he seems to be slamming the door again. So maybe he just needed a little shot of courage from Senator Cinema. But it would appear that gutting the filibuster is off the front burner for now. You know, Greg, it kind of reminds me of the Brett Kavanaugh vote where, you know, <laughs> Susan Collins, it was a real question of whether they'd have the 50 votes. Susan Collins looked like the Republican most likely to uh, vote. No, I guess Murkowski voted no. But, you know, Collins comes out and gives a really impassioned, was it like 40 minutes, a very lengthy address on the Senate, taking everybody through her thinking, what she found uh, convincing, what she did not. And, and just, you know, soup to nuts, lays it all out and says, yes, I will vote for it. Well, at that point, of course, guaranteed uh, the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh. And then like a minute later, we got the release from uh, Senator Joe Manchin saying, yep, I'm on board, too. <laughs> <laughs> Profile and courage ready to be that 52nd vote or I guess the 51st vote if uh, if Mike Pence was not uh, going to break the tie. You know, but nonetheless, in this case, I will take it. I could hear some people out there saying, well, why would you say this is the good martini? We've already seen a little bit of flip-flopping and wiggle room from uh, Manchin. He has sounded really resolute before, and then he suggested that maybe he could be open to some reform of the filibuster for civil rights legislation. Uh, but I think this op-ed slams the door on that wiggle room about as clearly as you can. You know, There's not a lot of other ways to interpret. There is no circumstance in which I will vote to eliminate or weaken the filibuster. And the or weaken is the really important one. 
right? Because there was the argument of like, well, we're going to make it a, uh, you know, you got to have a, a, a stand on your feet and, you know, old fashioned regular uh, filibuster, which would give the minority the ability to delay legislation that it doesn't like, but really not any effective way to deter it, to stop it from passing, which is the current state of things. Uh, I would argue that if you do that, well, then you're effectively getting rid of the filibuster. You're only giving the minority the willingness to, you know, they can only delay it as long as they're willing to have people stand there and talk. And it's going to have to end at some point unless they want to do it all the way to the end of the session. Maybe you could do it towards the end of the year. It's not likely to happen, you know, with close to two years away to the next midterms uh, elections. Yeah. So, look, for now, I'm going to say, yes, this is a good martini. This really doesn't leave him any wiggle room. This really doesn't leave him. And I think he would look too ridiculous to be resolute and say, no, I'm not going to end the filibuster. And then say, well, maybe I might open up the door. I might have a little bit of situations where we could overcome the filibuster to put forth this op-ed and say, nope, nope, I will not vote to weaken the filibuster in any way. And then if, God forbid, two weeks from now, he says, well, maybe there's a little circumstance. Like, you know, you would look too ridiculous even by Joe Manchin's standards. Well, I certainly hope that's the case. I hope he sticks to it. Maybe having a little company gives him an extra shot of courage here. But uh, this was this got way too close, and hopefully he actually sticks to it. It won't shock me if the next time he talks to a liberal interviewer, he starts to wiggle again. Sometimes uh, he, he gets like that. You mentioned, I think, on Twitter yesterday, Jim, that Joe Biden seems to sometimes say what he thinks the interviewer wants to hear, and sometimes I feel like Joe Manchin uh, wants mm. that too. But uh, hopefully you're right. I don't want to be too cynical, but he's given us a little bit of reason for cynicism. Hopefully Kirsten Cinema of all people, has dragged him back to sanity. Just just amazing what's happening in politics right now. But uh, if you want to rest easy that the filibuster seems to be safe for the moment, go ahead and uh, enjoy that and rest on a MyPillow. But MyPillow is giving the same attention they've given to their pillows to their towels. In fact, right now, Three Martini Lunch listeners can get two of the six-piece towel sets for one low price and free shipping. MyPillow towels have proprietary technology that makes these towels highly absorbent, they're soft to the touch without that lotion-y feel. They have a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. They are washable, they are dryable, and they have seven colors to choose from. These are really, really good towels. I mean, they're they're fluffy, they're thick, they're soft, they are extremely absorbent, as Jim said. You are dry really, really quick. Uh, they're better than you know towels you're just going to find off at, at some other retailer or somewhere. Much higher quality. Uh, the single six-piece set includes Two bath towels, 30 inches by 56, good size towels, two pack of hand towels, two packs of washcloths. So uh, excellent. Remember, you get two of these for the one low price. So go to MyPillow.com. All six-piece towel sets are buy two for one low price and free shipping. Just use the promo code MARTINI at checkout or when you call 800-874-0104. That's MyPillow.com, code MARTINI, or call 800-874-0104 for two six-piece towel sets for one low price and free shipping. All right, Jim, I don't know how many scandals Andrew Cuomo has now, but it just went up by one. We've got the nine accusers. We've got the book deal that seems to have been financed by campaign funds. We've got the friends and uh, family members getting the expedited COVID tests and expedited results and so forth. But the biggest scandal, obviously, remains the nursing home scandal. We know about the order from late March of last year. We know about uh, the delayed report. We know about the lying in that delayed report. Uh, and now we know that they knew the real numbers all Along, This is the New York Post. The Cuomo administration began tracking COVID-19-related out-of-facility nursing home resident deaths 
as early as April last year, yet still withheld the data from a state health department report released nearly three months later, according to a document obtained by the Post. The State Department of Health memo sent out to the administrators of nursing homes and adult care facilities directed them to report daily the number of residents who died of COVID-19, including if the death occurred in their facility or in the hospital setting. However, the final report consequently only included in-facility deaths, painting an incomplete picture of the pandemic's effect on the state's most vulnerable population. So, Jim, I guess choose your poison about which is worse here, knowing the real numbers and lying about it, or what we thought before is that they were intentionally tracking the numbers lower and and reporting those. But uh, no, they've lied about it in at least two different ways here. Yeah, I'm going to say lying is worse. Now, uh, yesterday in the corner, maybe it was two days ago, I wrote a note uh, about how um, I, I, that, that uh, Andrew Cuomo had now surpassed the Al Franken standard in terms of how the sheer number of accusers, uh, people probably remember it was eight women who came forward and gave various tales of, of Al Franken, grouping them, grabbing her tush, things like that. And uh, most Democrats, at least at the time, there was kind of this sense of like, okay, one woman could be lying. One woman could be some sort of, you know, uh, flirting that that went wrong or something like that. But when it came to eight women and they're all pretty much describing the same thing, then yeah, we don't believe your denials, Al Franken. We don't believe that this was some sort of inadvertent mix up and that you were behaving normally and it just rubbed, uh, no, no pun intended, it rubbed her the wrong way. Um, this, this pretty clearly was a clear pattern of harassment. Well, now Andrew Cuomo has the same thing. The women have come forward. The women, you know, in most of these cases worked for Cuomo. Uh, it's not like you, he can claim he's never met these women or anything. One of them is a current employee, which, you know, really takes guts to come forward and talk about this sort of thing with your current boss. So you just add it up. But I, th- I think just the broader point, when you add up, you know, the, the sexual harassment scandal, the nursing home scandal, uh, the fact that he had state staffers working on his book, on the fact that state health employees were doing COVID tests on his personal family, including Chris Cuomo, um, and being diverted to you know VIP list instead of all people and all, uh, everyone who might, might need a test at that particular time. I mean, Cuomo is arguably the worst governor in or the worst leader in this entire pandemic. And you can point, you know, Gavin Newsom is really bad. And the president said all kinds of crazy stuff that did not turn out. It's going to go away one day. It's going to disappear. Uh, You can point to all kinds of criticism. But I think when you just stack all these up, Andrew Cuomo is the worst leader at any level of government in, in during this pandemic. And the great irony is Andrew Cuomo is probably the most celebrated leader at any level during this pandemic. Maybe you could argue Fauci or something like that, but like by and large. So this is about as colossal a failure of the national media as you can possibly imagine. This is like, I don't, I don't want to invoke Godwin's law, so I won't use Hitler. But you know, Any type of um, really bad leader stands out and saying, oh yes, that was the good guy. No, you know, you're watching Star Wars and saying, you know, Darth Vader, he was really heroic because of his strict standard of accountability in Imperial forces the way he kept choking all the uh, people who failed. <laughs> the, the entire year, we were told Andrew Cuomo's doing a great job and he's the best and all that stuff. And he probably was doing the worst. And it's not just a, a Cuomo scandal. It is a scandal for everyone who covered him and who botched this story and told people two plus two equals five for so long. No, that's exactly right. And uh, he's clearly trying to stay alive as governor. I don't know if he has 
plans uh, egotistical enough to run for re-election again next year. But uh, right now, the public's on his side of him not resigning, although uh, if you keep piling up these scandals, who knows? But he's also acting like Oprah to try and keep as many legislators on his side as possible. Legalize recreational weed? Yes. Big tax hikes? Yes. $2.1 billion to illegal immigrants? Yes, you get a car. So uh, he's doing everything possible to just grease the politicians uh, that he knows he needs to uh, just to have the votes to survive. Yeah, that's, you know, that's not how you're supposed to govern a state. No. It will catch up to you sooner or later. I feel like it has got up to him, but uh, not officially yet, I guess. Who knows? All right. Let's talk about uh, ways for you to save money. New York State's clearly not going to do it. The federal government's not going to do it. But you can, and you can do it by saving on your postage. Let's face it. Taking trips to the post office is probably not how you want to spend your time. That's why we recommend mailing and shipping online at Stamps.com, which allows you to mail and ship anytime, anywhere, right from your computer. Stamps.com has saved businesses thousands of hours and tons of money because with Stamps.com, you get the services of the post office and UPS all in one place, but also with big discounts on mailing and shipping rates. You know, Stamps.com is a must-have for any business because it brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS right to your computer. Whether you're a small office that's sending out invoices, an online seller who's shipping out orders, or even a giant warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. You simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. And once your mail is ready, you just schedule a pickup or you drop it off. It's just that simple. With Stamps.com, you get discounts up to 40% off of post office rates and up to 62% off of UPS shipping rates. Not to mention Stamps.com is a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, saving you time and money. It's no wonder why nearly one million small businesses already use Stamps.com. So stop wasting time going to the post office. Go to Stamps.com instead. No risk. And with our promo code 3Martini, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. Again, no long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in 3Martini. That's Stamps.com, promo code 3Martini, all one word. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. All right, Jim, this is a double-fisted crazy martini here. Let's start with the headline of the day, and that's that the current and outgoing and term-limited Democratic governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam, also known uh, on this program and uh, many others as Governor Blackface, although, honestly, he could have been in the Klansman robes, let's be fair. Uh, he, of course, uh, admitted to being in the picture and then not being in the picture almost moonwalked at his press conference and was thought to be on his way out, but then he just decided not to leave and everybody seems to accept it. In the meantime, that was a little over two years ago, this is an election year in Virginia, and now Democrats are clamoring for Ralph Northam's endorsement. It is absolutely amazing. There are lots of Democrats uh, running for governor. There's only one white one, I think, who's a prominent Democrat, and that's Terry McAuliffe, uh, his predecessor, and who was uh, uh, Northam's boss, because Northam was lieutenant governor before. Nonetheless, uh, McAuliffe gets the Northam endorsement, and uh, McAuliffe is really, really excited about it. They're going to campaign together in Norfolk and Alexandria today. Uh, Northam says, we, since they were together in the previous four years as well, have accomplished so much, and he says Terry McAuliffe is the right choice for this job. Jim, I'm kind of disappointed on this, because I was expecting a really knockdown, dragout fight between McAuliffe and Justin Fairfax, and 
with the primary not that far away, I feel like we're just not going to get that fight. Uh, we'll get to Fairfax in just a minute and what he said in a recent debate. But what do you make of the fact that uh, Northam has gone from pariah to kingmaker again in Virginia? It's deeply depressing, Greg. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there, there used to be a, a gig on or, or a sketch they would do on the weekend update of Saturday Night Live where, you know, they'd, they'd greet some sort of news with just this endless series of really really you know it's bad enough that ralph northam is still our governor you know ralph northam couldn't resign because justin fairfax who had been credibly accused of rape by two women well he we couldn't have him take over and ordinarily said okay let's move on to the state attorney general and look turns out he had had a blackface scandal too and you kind of have this image of the virginia state capitol where you're like okay everybody who's not worn blackface please raise your hand anyone anyone you know it was an embarrassing chapter for this state. And the fact that Ralph Northam has managed to just kind of convince everybody, like he never explained why his, you know, his yearbook said Coon Man. There's never been any explanation. He's in, at first he said, that's me in the picture. And then he realized that this was going to lead to his resignation. And he's like, oh, I'm not in that picture. There's never, they did that whole investigation. They've never been able to explain how that picture just happened to end up there. Uh, in that, and he, he never really explained why he admitted it. He had that crazy press conference in which he insisted he'd gone to a Michael Jackson lookalike contest and put on shoe, po- you know, like, you know, you've got this, this bizarre question of you're like, what are, what are, you know, we, we have to be able to do better as a state. And now, now people want his endorsement. And he's given his endorsement to Terry McAuliffe, who, Greg, you know, I think it's too much to our great frustration somehow managed to be the least scandalous governor out of the last three in this state. <laughs> Which isn't saying that much when you consider Bob McDonnell and, and Ralph Northam. No, but it's certainly not what I would have expected. I remember when McAuliffe got elected narrowly over Ken Cuccinelli, we said he's either going to leave because he got indicted or got a job possibly in a Hillary Clinton administration, and that didn't actually happen on either front. So, Jim, you mentioned uh, Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax and his scandal of being credibly accused of sexual assault or even rape by two different uh, accusers. Um, This issue got brought up by him at a recent debate at Virginia State University, and the issue was how black men are treated in the criminal justice system. Listen to this victimhood. Uh, And I think that in the interest of speaking truth to power here, particularly on the campus of Virginia State University, we can't just talk theoretically about what generally happens, but uh, we have a real world example uh, where uh, I was falsely accused uh, in 2019 uh, from uh, the Washington Post now saying these false accusations, uh, raising that question, uh, and whether it was a rush to judgment. Everyone here on the stage called for my immediate resignation, including Terry McAuliffe three minutes after a press release came out. He treated me uh, like George Floyd. Uh, He treated me like Emmett Till. No due process. Immediately assumed my guilt. Treated me like George Floyd and Emmett Till. Uh, Jim, I'm pretty sure asking someone to resign based on two credible uh, accusations of sexual assault or rape is slightly different than lynching, but uh, leave it to the, the Democrats today, especially Justin Fairfax, to try to put himself in the same category. Yeah, and I was pleased to see not just a lot of Democrats saying that was a, a ludicrous and inappropriate comparison. It's a lot of African-American Democrats who said that was a ludicrous and inappropriate comparison. Because uh, I can think of at least one glaring difference about uh, George Floyd and Justin Fairfax. You know, one person is around here is still around to complain about his treatment. And the other one isn't. And that's the sort of thing that probably should you know be acknowledged as a key factor. And secondly, it's fascinating. I mean, you know, Justin Fairfax acts like he's been completely exonerated. I didn't see either the accusers rescind their accusations. 
I haven't seen any evidence disproving that they, you know, well, they couldn't have been in the same place at the same time or something like that. Uh, he certainly hasn't been tried in a court of law. So I'm really curious about how he believes he's been exonerated on this. You could say, yes, innocent until proven guilty, except he's never been inside the sun, seen in the inside of a courtroom over this. He's never been charged over this. I, I'm very curious about how, you know, look, we, we in the electorate, uh, you know, you, you can argue he's being falsely accused. Uh, we don't know that, but, you know, it's possible. It's also possible these two women are, are you know, uh, are telling the truth and the accounts line up, describe very similar behavior. You know, it is a he said, she said situation, but I think it's serious enough that you know, people in, in the uh, voters in Virginia, Democrat, Republican or independent, might look at that and say, eh, we could probably do better than this. And indeed, Virginia, we can do better than this. Things might be so bad. Maybe we got to look at the other party and just see what they're doing. Just just put just take a look. Just see what it is. You know, if the nominee of the Republican Party hasn't worn blackface, hasn't worn a Klan hood and isn't credibly accused of rape, that that seems like the sort of thing where you'd say, OK, that would be a significant upgrade for the state. Yeah, I would agree. Although the Republicans have me scratching my head, too, because I keep hearing all these radio ads for, you know, Pete Snyder or, or Glenn Youngkin and how they need our support. And then I'm reminded there's no primary. It's a convention. So you can throw all these radio ads at me all you want. I can't help you until November. Yeah, I mean, I guess it helps if you build name ID and, and all that kind of stuff. And maybe somebody going to the convention is listening to the radio or something. I do want to observe, uh, I'll share an observation from a friend. Um, up until very recently, probably the last couple of weeks, Pete Snyder, who, who ran before, seemed like a good candidate, don't think I've ever talked to him or interviewed him, but like we, you know, we're like one degree of separation from each other. Uh, he was running almost entirely focused on open the schools, open the schools, open the schools. A great message, very resonant with parents of all political stripes. And then he got a mailer and it was all Pete Snyder stands with Trump, et cetera, et cetera. And it was put up by the Snyder campaign. It wasn't somebody else. Well, Northern Virginia is not Trump territory. The suburbs are not natural areas. We get a lot of stuff. So it's really kind of intriguing that at some point, Snyder apparently felt some pressure to be perceived, if not as the pro-Trump candidate, but then as a pro-Trump candidate at a time where like, I mean, God, maybe you got to do this to win the primary, but you really are not going to do any good um, in the general election. I mean, Trump got blown out in Virginia both times, and I just don't see, you certainly, certainly got blown out in Northern Virginia both times. So I'm not quite sure I understand what's going on there. But, uh, you know, look, when you go into a general election with almost no faith that the local Republican Party can do anything right, anything they do get right acts like, feels like a really major success. Well, we'll know here in the next few weeks who the uh, who will be in the final matchup. I certainly think it'll be McAuliffe for the Democrats at this point, but uh, we'll see who emerges from that Republican convention. Conventions can be a little bit unpredictable sometimes. So we'll find out. Jim, have a good day. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Please do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. We are very, very grateful for your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Also, remember, you can get us on those home devices. Just say, play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Thursday, and please join us again on Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch. There is so much going on in the news. The crisis at the southern border continues. The trial of Derek Chauvin has officially started. And the cargo ship stuck in the Suez Canal has finally been freed. Hey, it's the Chicks from the Chicks on the Right podcast. Download and subscribe to our daily podcast to hear us pick apart and pick on the news of the day. Politics to pop culture, nobody's safe, but it's all fun. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.